Welcome to another exciting message from Journey Church, meeting weekly in Northwest Calgary. At Journey Church, we're encountering God and embracing people. about a baptism Sunday and wasn't that awesome seeing people making that public declaration that Jesus is Lord of their life I just think you know in some ways that represented the the texture of our church that we're both for young we're for old er uh, put that on there the er uh, we're for Jesus because Jesus is for everyone and we really do need each other yes we need each other in the mountains when we're on the top because you need people cheering for you that you made it up that mountain. And we need each other in the valley. And this is part of what baptism does. It, it connects our hearts and our spirits together so that we remember that, oh, yeah, you, you did. So I would just encourage you, find someone who got baptized after church and just give them a hug and say, hey, you did that. That was amazing. That encouraged me. And I know that whenever I hear people being baptized, I, I'm encouraged. It, it challenges me to once again rededicate myself uh, to making Jesus the Lord of my life, in charge of everything. Um, I promised our staff, because it was Baptism Sunday, so on Tuesday, they all looked at me and said, now, now you're going to get the mic a bit later. Okay, so now I'm gonna, we're all going to work together today because I have told them that if I go late today that I am bringing them all Starbucks gift cards on Tuesday and Dave doesn't want me to do that <laughs> two of our children have birthdays in March so we're going to work together and I'm going to end on time today praise the Lord okay so we're talking about Esther I I I um I I told you this before, other than the odd message in 20 years of ministry, I've never done uh, an expositional series on Esther from the first of the chapter, and this seemed like a good idea in July, as I started to actually really dig down into the nuts and bolts, I realized, wow, this was a weird, wow, this is a hard book, and, uh, but really, um, it's challenged me, and really, that's the truth about the Word of God. This is the reason we continue to read the Bible, because the, the Bible tells us that the Bible itself is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And so we don't come to it saying, well, I've read that story before. I was in a play of Esther before. I we actually believe that God can reveal something new to us that challenges and transforms the way that we live. Um, so just if you haven't been here in the last couple of weeks, let me give you a really short recap. So for the first 700 years of the church, nobody wrote a commentary on Esther. Nobody talked about Esther. Martin Luther uh, said that it was, a, it was so great an enemy to, this, to the church that it wished it, he wished it had not come into being. Okay, so very strong words um, about a book. But we actually believe in teaching the whole counsel of God because 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is breathed by God, all of it. And it's useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And so we actually take that scripture to mean what it says that all scripture is useful to us. And so that's why 
Uh, we're in the third week of a series on Esther, and um, it is a head-scratching um, book because God is not mentioned ever in the book of Esther. Nobody prays. No miracles take place. There is no like, wow, that, none of that happens. It's, it's as if God went on vacation in the book of Esther. And in some ways, I think that that's very relevant to us today because in many of our lives, it, have you ever been in that place where it just feels like God is on vacation? The great news is we know from the book of Esther that he is not, that he is always working even when it feels like he's not working. And so today we're going to look at Esther chapter 2 and a little bit of chapter 3. And I want to talk to you this morning about hinge moments. Uh, hinge moments are those small moments in our life that the direction, momentum, and purpose of our lives are predicated on. Uh, Dave and I decided over Christmas that we were going to um, paint our house. So our house was like um, a dark, kind of a darker brown. And I decided that, um, and I say I very I decided on a walk with somebody with somebody here today, I had a good idea that all of my baseboards and my um, inside of my house was grayish. Now, if you like the color grayish, you're welcome. You could have come over to my house and enjoyed it. I did not like the color grayish, though. And then I got somebody, you know, you get those painters, those, those, te those teenagers that work as painters in the summer. And I said to them, could you come and paint my baseboards? $3,000. I was like, thank you for coming. I will be making myself a coffee now. Whew. So I decided over Christmas we were going to give ourselves a Christmas present and paint. And uh, what started off as just the baseboards and my windowsills became a larger project than that. Because ladies, you know that's how it goes, right? You just, because Dave hates painting with all of his heart. Like it's his worst task. Uh, what I feel about throw up, Dave feels about paint. Okay, so um, so then I decided, I said, oh, honey, it would be like really nothing for us to paint the doors, which were also grayish. So um, that would be no problem. Now, all of you, if you've ever painted a door, mm, you know how my Christmas was. Now, if I looked weary over Christmas, if you didn't understand what we were talking about, over, you know now why. So, because over Christmas, we were painting grayish. Now, Doors are a funny thing because they've got these things on them called hinges. And you got to have like a really steady hand. I could never have been a surgeon. I definitely would have killed you because like, my hand is not very steady and it's not very steady on the hinges. And what was amazing to me is that we, it felt like we in our house have hundreds of hinges, hundreds and hundreds of them. They felt like they were everywhere. And I had to have this little hand that goes around them because I'm trying to get rid of the grayish with Chantilly lace, which is a beautiful color from Benjamin Moore. See how I'm looking at Dave right now, telling me it is a beautiful color. It's been a transformation of our house and my heart. Okay, the point being is I became very aware of how many hinges were in my house, and it made me, as I was thinking about the series, I think about how many hinge moments there are in our lives. Hinge moments are these really small little things that happen to us. And unfortunately, uh, we don't know when they're coming or where they're, they're small, but they matter to the direction and purpose, the, the forward momentum of our lives. Dave was wishing none of our doors had hinges on them on December 29th. Um, but, but hinges are important because otherwise you don't get anywhere. Um, I want to share with you, before we read the text, though, because I think this text really highlights 
hinge moments. I, I want to talk to us about just a few things, important things about hinge moments. Number one, you cannot predict hinge moments. You don't know when a hinge moment in your life is coming. This is true for all of us. Like none of us get up on a Monday morning and go, I think this is going to be a very important day. I can just tell by the way that my coffee smells this morning that this day is going to matter. Do you ever have one of these moments like something important happens to you and in hindsight you go, I never would have known that that interaction would have led me to that, would have led me to that. We all have moments. We cannot predict hinge moments. And the second thing is we can't plan for the circumstances surrounding them. Now, for all of us that like things planned and organized and our T's crossed and our I's dotted, this is a moment of sorrow for us. Because we can't plan for the things that are going to happen that are important. We just can't. But I will tell you a, a moment of goodness is that we can prepare for hinge moments, though. And I believe that the text we're going to read today is going to show us how we prepare for hinge moments. All of us are going to have hinge moments really important moments in our lives, small moments in our lives that, that um, really are predicated the way that we go. So let's, let's read about this in Esther chapter 2, verse 19. When the virgins were assembled the second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. Okay, so his, theologically, let me just, or historically, let me just tell you this. This first line tells us Esther has been made king, and then the runners up meet together. We don't know if they were crying or what was going on, but these are all the people that didn't win to be queen. Okay, so they're all sitting at the king's gate. They lost the Persia's bachelor competition. But Esther had kept secret her family background and nationality. So this is important. The text is telling us this again, that Esther is still an undercover Jewish person. Her family background and nationality, just as Mordecai had told her to do, it's very important that you understand that it's Mordecai that's pushing this. Uh, for she continued to follow Mordecai's instructions as she had done when he was bringing her up. During the time Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Big Thana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, became angry and conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. But Mordecai found out about the plot and told Queen Esther, who in turn reported it to the king giving credit to Mordecai. And when the report was investigated and found out to be true, the two officials were impaled on poles. Now we read that, I think, just let me just make this little comment. You read that in your devotional voice, and you read it like this, and the two of them were impaled on poles. The Bible is not for the faint of heart. Anybody who tells you that you have got to be like a really soft, lovely person, they haven't read the Bible. Like very Okay, so they're impaled on poles. Praise the Lord. All this was recorded in the book of Annals in the presence of the king. End story. Then we go on to chapter 3, and we're just going to read a few verses here. After these events, King Xerxes honored Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite. This is very important in this text. If you have a pencil, you're reading an actual Bible, or you have a finger, and you're reading it on your iPhone, circle that elevating him and giving him a seat of high honor, higher than that of all the other nobles. All the royal officials at the king's gate knelt down and paid honor to Haman, for the king had commanded this concerning him, but Mordecai would not kneel down or pay honor to him. Okay, I want to make a few uh, observations about the text here. The first one is that Mordecai has gotten a promotion. We know that because it says Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. Historically, uh, nobles and people who were 
like had a good job, would sit at the king's gate, and nowhere in this text do we ever see this before, but probably most historians think that once, um, once Queen Esther became king she, or queen, she could call in a few favors, favors, and she got Mordecai this promotion. Like I said, the second thing, the second observation we make here is that Mordecai and Esther are still undercover about their faith. Let me just say this: this is a little bit of an aside. Promotion is not always a sign of approval from God. Some of us have grown up with this theological uh, idea of a Jesus rabbit foot. By that I mean this. Um, We have Jesus as like a good luck charm almost. If we were to describe our faith, it's a little bit like a good luck charm. So like when we're in trouble, when we need a promotion, we like really like we really come to the plate in prayer. And then we get that promotion. We think obviously God's on my side. Obviously God approves of my life. But this text shows us that at this time, Mordecai was still saying, like, don't, don't, I'm not, I'm not Jewish. Please, nobody know this about me. Promotion is not always the sign of approval. Um, And it's important that we know that. Because some of us, listen, if we're really honest, if we're really honest, we'd know that we're not really living like Jesus is Lord, but we say, well, God must be okay with me because I, like, things are just happening for me. And we know from the scripture that that's not always true. Okay, third thing is this. Mordecai, he uncovers a plot to assassinate the king. Um, what you need to know about the Hebrew here, though, is that, and, and most uh, Midrash and Targums will say this, that the Hebrew is very emphatic here, that it wasn't because of Mordecai that the plot was found out. The way that the words are organized in Hebrew, it really points to this, that God placed Mordecai in this place. It was God's doing, okay? So that's an important part about the text. Um, But what we do see is that Mordecai's resolve to do the right thing shows integrity. Sometimes we sin by what we do. But oftentimes, how we sin is by sins of omission, Right? So imagine you're Mordecai, you've gotten this promotion, and the king is going to be assassinated. Uh, 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 there's a plan to assassinate him. You have a choice at this point. And you remember when you were a kid, you could read those books like, You Get to Make the Choice? Remember those? And you, I always chose the one that was going to be the longest story because I was a nerd like that, whichever was the longest choice. But this is not true. Mordecai has a choice here. I was thinking about this this week and thinking about how would I have responded had I heard... An, assassina- an assassination attempt. And really what came back to me was, well, it would depend on the day. I'm the only one. You're laughing at me like, and you're our pastor? Well, because sometimes I say things like, not my monkey, not my circus. That's the wrong saying, right? But you understand, not my... M- if you've been here before, you know that this is a game we play every week. How many sayings can I get wrong? But sometimes there, there is this idea in culture that, oh, like, you don't want to get involved. Don't get involved in other people's stuff. Like, don't say anything. Which I would say leads us to all kinds of sins of omission. Someone tells a racist joke and you just think, well, it's not, like, really about me. So, like, I don't really have to say anything because I, I don't want to be that annoying person. And it's a sin of omission. You didn't stick up for somebody. You didn't put, you didn't do the right thing. Sins of omission are 
uh, important that we talk about because sometimes the sin is not in what we do, but what we don't do. And in this circumstance, Mordecai comes right to the line. He hears about the assassination attempt, and he tells Esther, who in turn tells the king, and they impale the people on poles. And then we find, so then we move over to chapter uh, 3. Now it's interesting, Mordecai does the right thing, and what happens? Jack squat. Text in chapter 3 tells us, after these things, like after he's done the right thing, after he's uncovered an assassination plot, now here's what happens. A new character is, is introduced in this in this story, now, for those of us that read it, in hindsight, we go, okay, well, that's the bad guy. It's almost like you can hear the bad guy in music on in chapter, the beginning of chapter 3. What you need to know, though, is that um, the, the writer is very, very clear here. After these things, a very bad guy is introduced. Not just a sort of a bad guy. Um, it, it says that he was an agagite. Agagite. I don't Agagite. It's a very hard word to say. Uh, and and it, what you need to know about the Agites is that Agagites is that they were Amalekites. These were uh, Israel's greatest enemies. Um, you, you see it starting in the book of Exodus, and then we have actually a. Um, it, it's really shown in First Samuel chapter nine to chapter nine one to two. Uh, the king of the Amalekites, who is called King Agagite, is introduced. And Saul is supposed to, he's supposed to get rid of the Amalekites, and he doesn't. He disobeys God, and you, we can read that story at another time. But what it tells us, it's, it's not just saying that Haman is, like, not Jewish. It's saying Haman is the worst kind of bad guy. He hates the Jews. And I was thinking about how I would feel if I was Mordecai. Because often, particularly in the book of Esther, we're not told about people's like inward thoughts. It just tells you the story. But I think what we can do is say that the characters, what we have to do is humanize the characters. If you don't humanize the characters in the Bible, you'll never put yourself in it. It will just become like words on a page. Okay, so you've done the right thing. Let's just pretend it's you. You get a promotion at work. You are now like, you're something in Ottawa. You've moved to Ottawa. They get a lot of snow there, and it's windy, and they don't get as much sun as we do, but let's just pretend, okay? For a minute, you're there, and you overhear a plot to assassinate our prime minister, and you solely, you alone, stop that. Think of how proud you're feeling right now. Some of you are like, well, I am... Of course, that would be me. Some of you are, you're overly proud of yourself right now. But anyways, okay, so. And then the next day, someone who hates you gets a promotion. If you're anything like me, you're thinking, God, where are you? I did the right thing, and it feels like it's all going sideways. How is this even fair? Many of us are stuck in those kinds of moments right now. Like, this is not fair. This is not what I signed up for. I thought, God, you were supposed to be on my side. I thought you were supposed to be fighting for me. I thought you were the one that did it. And, and now we got this? Come on now, God. And some of you this week have had conversations with God like that. 
But I want you to know that although Mordecai didn't know it, he had stepped into a hinge moment in his life. The chapter before, he had, he had decided that he was going to let God orchestrate his life. It suffice to say that one of the benefits of following God is that he is in the business of setting up his kids for success. And that is not prosperity gospel. That is the truth from the gospel, from the Bible, that he continually sets his kids up uh, to walk into places that they didn't get there by their own ingenuity or their own strength or their own doing. We believe that God loves everyone, that Jesus' heart is for everyone. His real desire is that everyone would walk with him. But when we say yes to Jesus, when we, are, when we actually say, yes, God, I'm giving my life over to you, we're actually, here's what you're doing. We're allowing God to direct our path. We're allowing God to orchestrate hinge moments for us. And this is what it means to be a Christ follower. That we actually give our life over to the person of Jesus. That we, um, that we actually trust him. Now, in some regards, this is the hardest thing that we have to do as Christians. To say, God, I'm giving myself fully to you. And in some regards, this is the easiest thing we get to do. Because if you're like me, and you feel like you're a hot mess at times... Like making decisions is difficult. The best thing that we can do is continually say to God, I'm giving my life to you. I'm letting you orchestrate my path. I'm letting you orchestrate the way that things happen. This is what changes our lives. And this is why every day we all need to say, we all need to make that recommitment to God. Like, God, I'm making you, I'm making you the Lord of my life, Jesus. This is not a one and done. Like some of us have treated our Christianity like it's a one and done deal. Like we, I said that little prayer when I was nine years old. And no, no, it's this continual saying to God, I'm giving myself to you so that you can orchestrate my path. What's amazing to me is the mercy of God in all of this. So Mordecai somehow has gotten off track. He decided not to go back to Jerusalem. We, if you didn't, if you weren't here in the first couple of weeks, you could go back and listen to this. He decided not to go to Jerusalem, and yet God was still merciful directing his paths. And some of you are here right now, and you're thinking, well, I don't know, I haven't, haven't really, if I'm honest, I haven't really let God orchestrate my path. The great news about this book of Esther is that it tells us that God is far more merciful than any of us would be. Aren't you happy for that, that the grace of God is bigger than the grace that you have? Like, human grace goes so far, right? Like, we, we're graceful, and then the straw breaks the camel's back, right? Then you're like, I'm done. You have crossed a boundary. And then you got, then you're going to talk about boundary. You know when you're in a bad spot, and everybody you talk to, you want to talk to them. I want to talk to you about boundaries. I have a lot of them right now. That's like a sign for me that, like, yo, I need a break. I need a holiday. Somebody send me to Mexico. So... Okay, but God, he doesn't do that. Mordecai is all out there saying, just pretend we're not even Christian. And God's still orchestrating these hinged moments for him. I was trying, as I was like reading this 
as I was, you know, preparing for this message, I was trying to, like, make it say something that it wasn't. Like, get your life straight, and then God will have hinge moments for you. But the text doesn't say that. The text says Mordecai was a big old mess. God still set up this moment for him. It's going to change the trajectory of his life. And we're going to see that in subsequent chapters. So how do we, though, so, so know this, know this, no matter where you are today, you're never too far from God's grace. It is not too late for you to say yes to God. It's not too late for the parts of your life that you've hidden and covered to uncover those and say, God, I'm giving you all of me. But how do we prepare ourselves for these hinge moments? Um, I think the first thing is this. We have to trust that God is getting us into the right places in the right time. Part of this is just saying yes. Getting up every morning and going, God, I know this. I've given my life to you. You're going you're gonna to get me at the right places at the right time. There is no act. Some of you are just stressed out because you think, oh, if I had only done this and if I'd only done that and if I'd only taken that promotion and if I'd only gone here. And, I mean, you spend a lot of sweat equity worrying about like all the pieces. What the book of Esther tells us is that God is on the move regardless of you. And every day we can get up and say, God, you're going to get me in the right place at the right time. The other thing is this, is that every interaction matters. Every interaction you have with somebody or something, every interaction matters. It means that we don't, we can't just lay back and go, that ah, whatever. Do you ever have spaces in your life where you like wake up and you go, where have I been for the last six months? Is there anybody here that has felt that before? Like, yes, yes, you were like trapped in the world of Netflix. I know all of you are all too spiritual for that. None of you have ever binge watched a show. Okay, so this idea that like we, we can go to sleep to this if we're not careful. We can go to sleep, but, and, and who it ruins it for is us. Because when we get awake to every interaction, I mean, I'm excited to go through the Starbucks drive through because I think, I don't know what's going to happen here. Maybe like, Dave laughs at me because I answer my phone even if it's from like Idaho and you know that it's a crank call, not a crank caller, but you know, someone trying to sell you something. I, I'm just like, when I'm awake, I'm like so excited. Like, so, this could be a moment. I'm telling you, tomorrow morning at 7 o'clock in the morning, God could have designed a hinge moment for you, and you might never know. This is why we got to stay awake, everybody. This is why the writer of the New Testament says, wake up! And all of us, wake up to the things of God because he's developing these hinge moments for us. Mordecai couldn't have known that morning that when he went to sit at the king's gate, that he was going to overhear an assassination attempt, and then the, the, that was going to move him into places that predicated him saving the Jews. He could never have known that. He was just showing up for his job. Let me just tell you this. Show up. Show up to where God wants you to be. Listen, can I just call all the Christians, when we go to our places of work, we should be the most alive people at our jobs. We should be people that are like showing up to the plate, like what can I do? How can I? Because we never know when God's going to open up one of these hinge moments for us, every interaction matters. You might go get a pretzel at the market mall today. Now I got you all thinking about those pretzels. <laughs> that is the worst little stand, by the way. If you own it, I love you. 
And always I'm there when we're fasting. It's the worst. Anyways, okay. I was thinking about those pretzels. But uh, listen, you might be in that mile-long pretzel line. And God might have designed for the person behind you to be a hinge moment for you. I was young to ministry. I, I was uh, probably, well, I want to say young to ministry. I don't know if I was ministering to anyone. The Lord was ministering to me. I was in a very bad spot in my life. And um, I was told by my pastor that I should go get keys made. This was not in my job description, but I decided to go do it anyways. And uh, Well, because otherwise I'd be fired and I didn't want to live in my parents' basement forever. So um, I went and got the keys and I felt the Holy Spirit. This is, I think, my first encounter with the Holy Spirit just breathing to me, wake up, wake up, wake up. And I just said to the Lord, I, I handed him my key and I remember praying under my breath. This idea, by the way, when Paul said pray without ceasing, this is what he was meaning, that we would be awake to every circumstance, that we'd be saying, God, open up. And I just simply gave the girl the key. I said, I, I need to make a bunch of copies of this key. And I think I smiled and she made the key and she was back there for a few minutes and she came back and she said, I don't know, this is so weird, but like, I, I, is there something different about you? And we had this, I had this chance to pray with her. And like for me as a pastor, it was a hinge moment in my life. I can look back on that moment. I know exactly where I was. I know exactly where that key kiosk was. I don't know. Was it like, did I hear the Lord say, go and make keys now? No. Somebody asked me to go get keys and I probably had a bad attitude about it. By the way, you reap what you sow. If you have a bad attitude about things like that, the people that work for you will also have bad attitudes about it. I just tell my kids that was for free. So I probably had a bad attitude about it. And uh, I went and got the key. It wasn't like I, I couldn't have planned that I was going to have this encounter with this woman. You can't plan this stuff out, but you can prepare yourself. Every interaction matters. The, the second thing is this integrity in small moments matter. Integrity in small moments matter. What people cannot see matters. What you laugh about matters. What you'll tolerate matters. What you'll do in the quiet spot matters. Go after it. I, I was thinking about a couple of things. In, in chapter 2, we have this over and over again, this, this phrase that says, and Mordecai kept telling Esther, don't tell anybody who you are. Don't tell him who we are. Don't tell him who we are. In chapter 3, though, something totally different it's like he's a different person he likes it i'm not bowing down to you haman hello and haman figures out he's jewish because he won't bow down what happened again the book of esther doesn't tell us uh, what people were thinking it's the mystery and puzzle of this book and it causes you to ask a lot of questions but we do have to ask this question how did mordecai go from being wishy-washy to like, I'm going to square my shoulders back. It doesn't say like, and then he went to the temple and had an altar moment with the Lord. Then he sang a song from Hill Songs that he really loved. And the Lord came. No, it doesn't say any of that. We don't even know what. But there's two things that I think we've got to ask ourselves about. When you'll do the small things in integrity, I think it bolsters your faith. I, I think the small things built on each other. I mean, any book on habits will tell you this. Any book on habits that if you'll build small habits, that they all of a sudden turn into like you being a giant. Integrity is the same way. You build small on integrity. 
And then all of a sudden, you, some of you, you've come here today and you think, I'm like, I'm not that spiritual. I'm like the worst. I've got like nothing going on. I do all the wrong things. Can I just encourage you? Don't beat yourself up for that. Just say, today, I'm going to do the right thing in the small things, in the small things. The second, the second idea, and this is, this is, the text doesn't say this, but we do have to ask these questions of the text. The text is very clear that Haman is like a super villain. He's a bad guy. Some of us have bemoaned the fact that bad things have come into our lives. And we've said things like this. Well, God, if you were really real, you wouldn't have let that come in. God, if you were... But I want to tell you this, that with the enemy, what we sang this morning is very true, that oftentimes with the enemy intended for evil, God will turn around for a good always times, by the way. The enemy meant to have Haman come in. And I, I think it stirred something in Mordecai's spirit. And some of you, the very thing that you're complaining about is the very thing that's going to strengthen your insides. And, and this is where Paul said, listen, I thank God for every trial that comes my way, every bad thing, every messed up circumstance, I thank God. I used to read that as a young person and think, this is weird. I can't even, I can't even read this. But this is why. Because it causes us to get bigger on the inside. You, you know, you want to you wanna show me someone weak? I'll show you someone whom everything has gone right for that person. They've never dealt with failure. Do you know they're saying that our young people today don't have resolve because we've protected them from everything. Because we've helicopter parented them. I'm in this with you, so I'm not, this is no pointing of fingers. Because we've padded our houses down because basically they grow up in a, and they've never had any hardship. Lord, help us. Lord, help us to not push away things that are difficult in our lives. But instead to say, God, would you help strengthen me on the inside? And in the middle of it, don't, don't you dare. Don't you dare give up when something horrible comes. Don't you, I, I'm speaking this like as a mom right now. Don't you dare give up. Because this is the call of the Christian, that we would be people that would square our shoulders back and say, I'm not bowing down to this. I don't care how bad it seems. I don't care how villainous it seems. I don't care how black it seems. I, I'm not bowing down to this. I'm getting big on the inside. The third thing is this. We don't lose hope because we're always sowing good seeds in our lives. We know that these will reap a harvest. So this little hinge moment that Mordecai has, he sowed good seeds in the quiet space. And it didn't reap a harvest right away. It didn't reap a harvest right away. What it did, it took time to germinate. Some of you right now are in the middle of the germination stage. And you want to give up. Don't walk away from your harvest. You've planted the seeds in the ground. Now just wait for them. They're going to produce something. This is the word of the Lord to us. I'm going to invite the band just to come for a moment. I, I want us to um, I want us to close this morning um, just thinking about this. Uh, what would it mean for me today to believe that God has set me up with hinge moments? Some of you can look back on your life if you've had a long trajectory in life. See, that's another way of saying you're older. Um, <laughs> You can see where God has set up hinge moments for you. Like, listen, in some ways, coming to this church was like, I can remember the hinge moment. Kelly, do you remember this? We were, um, we were at a camp, Coburg Camp. And I, I wasn't going to um, 
some of the university uh, chaplains and pastors were meeting at Coburg Camp. It was a camp in Ontario, and I don't know, I wasn't going to go, but I just felt like, oh, no, I'll go up for a day. And I met Kelly, and I talked to Kelly, and we had a, I can show you exactly where we walked and talked, and I look back on that and think, like, there was something that stirred in my spirit and my heart. It's a hinge moment. I don't know, your hinge moments are going to look different than mine, but God is certainly setting them up for you because you're one of his children. He's a God who orchestrates things for his kids, who sets them up. And, and you might be in a bad spot right now, but it's always darkest before dawn. I mean, Mordecai would have felt like in that moment that an Amalekite has come into power. We're certainly dead. Who cares that I foiled this assassination plot? And that doesn't matter anyways. And yet God had a plan in the middle of that. But the hinge moment had already happened, and Mordecai didn't even know it. Some of you, your hinge moment has already happened, and you, didn't, you don't even know. I want you to grab hold of hope this morning. Grab hold of hope and do not let it go. This is what the Bible calls us to, to be people of hope. People of hope. People of courage. All across the house this morning, but just to stand to your feet. I don't know where this message finds you maybe you're in the middle of a dry time maybe you're in the middle of a wonderful time and you can actually see the goodness of God you can see the hinge moments of God in your life let's not discount those moments but let's thank him all across this place today if you've got a hinge moment I mean, the very fact that you're here tells me that you've had some hinge moments in your life. Can you just thank God for those moments that you didn't even know were happening? I think there's something powerful that happens when we verbally begin to thank God for the things that he did. Some of you got married and that was a hinge moment in your life. A miracle, even. You've got to thank God. God, I thank you for that right now. God, I thank you for every hinge moment you've given us. For those of us, God, who feel like we're in the beginning of chapter 3, Esther chapter 3, and everything, all hell has let loose, God, I pray that you would give us a vision of hope today, that you are setting us up for these hinge moments, that you are setting us up for victory, that we are going to see victory, God. We declare that in our lives, and God, we, we again commit to being people of integrity, integrity in the small things when nobody sees it that we would be people god not of uh that we would just be people who do the right thing give us courage god and god we're going to give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor for the good things you're going to birth in us and through us in the mighty name of jesus we pray Thanks for listening to us today. For more information about who we are, head over to myjourney.church or look for us on your favorite social media outlet.